you're just joining us, if you're new to this place, we're so thankful you're here. Welcome to Restoration. My name is Ryan. We're going to take our offering um, as I'm getting the <laughs> Southwest Jetway signaling going on with the offering bags. If you're new, you can just let that go by. Uh, but we're going to pass these bags. And um, if you want to be a part of making this church tick financially, we would just really be grateful. It's another way we worship um, We've been in a conversation about the Holy Spirit the last number of weeks as Paul has been addressing the Corinthian church. And um, if you're just joining us, we're 13 chapters in to a 15-chapter book. So for those of you who are like, this is taking forever, October 7th, people. October 7th, we're done, all right? For those of you who have been really enjoying this, this journey in 1 Corinthians, um, I might cry on, for, on October 7th. I mean, this has just been um, a wild journey together with our teaching team and with all of you, and um, it's just been a blast. So, uh, but part of what we've been saying the last couple of weeks is that the role of the Spirit, the role of the Spirit on you and in you and through you, okay, is to what? push the story of Jesus forward. That's the goal. That's the whole goal of the Spirit. The Spirit draws us towards Jesus, highlights Jesus, highlights the work of Jesus in the world, in you, on you, and through you. And uh, I, was, I was reminded um, a couple years ago, I came across a story of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. And he was born in Vienna, Austria, and um, when he was a young, a young lad, he, uh, he, would, he would stay out late partying with his friends and, uh, and you know, drinking or whatever and out late and, and, and partying, and, and he, would, he would come home late at night um, after his dad, Leopold, Leopold, all right, uh, after Leopold was already in bed, and he was, Mozart was kind of, uh, if you know anything about his life, he was, he was, he was just kind of crazy and insane and, and full of crazy ideas. So he would begin to softly play on the piano when he got home, a building set of scales, all right? And it would get louder and louder and louder. In the meantime, his dad, Leopold, was kind of in one of those, you know how you're dreaming and you think you hear something and, and he's, he's listening to this music and it's in his subconscious. And then what Mozart would do, uh, Wolfgang, we'll call him Wolf, he wasn't Mozart yet, he was Wolfgang. What Wolfgang would do is he would, he would not finish the scales and then he would stand up and go to bed. Well, his dad at this point is like totally into the music, kind of awake and just just he wants it to finish like it's driving him nuts his dad was a big musician too so his dad would stomp out of his bedroom just cussing <laughs> walk to the piano finish the scale and then walk back to bed and mozart would just be dying laughing right <laughs> and this would happen occasionally over and over again he would mess with his dad like this paul is describing something similar to that in the sense that Love, as you and I know it, on this earth is an unfinished scale. 
And in, even with the things that we think are love kind of don't feel complete, right? They don't feel like they've got the resolution to it that the, that the music is building towards. And what Paul is saying that this love, that this life of love, that this unfinished scale is, is, isn't just merely a duty of followers of Jesus. It's actually going to be our destiny. That it's when we read this passage about loving each other and, and love is patient, love is kind, it's not meant to force you into some cold, dutiful, well, I gotta love people. What it's meant to do is tell you and, and, and point you towards this beautiful picture of what love is going to be like one day, what your life is going to, uh, your language of love is going to speak in eternity, that, that you and I are just going to live that way. And so what Paul is saying is live that way now. Not out of duty, not like, well, I'm a Christian, so no, no, live like you're going to live one day. And so that's kind of like where he's going with this. Now, part two of this love passage, Ben read it earlier. Let me just read it really quick again, just in case you missed um, or if you came in late. Paul says, but where there are prophets, prophecies, sorry, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears, right? When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So here's the point. Paul's kind of getting at with the Corinthians. He's saying, listen, you have become, you've become enamored with all these ways that the Spirit shows up in your life. You've become enamored with these little words of knowledge. And, and these little prophecies and, 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 and speaking a, an, an unintelligible language. And you're, you're all excited about that. So much so, they were so excited about these things that he's saying, you're missing the point. You're missing the greater purpose of the, what the Holy Spirit is working you towards. Um, what Paul is doing is he's encouraging, to view, he's encouraging them to view their life in, in kind of like a framework of God's future, to actually become people of the future and not just playing around in the present. That's what Paul's trying to do. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I thought the children's group had hula hoops, and I was going to use hula hoops to illustrate this. So let's pretend. <laughs> let's pretend I'm holding two hula hoops out like this, Okay. Um, this hula hoop is the present age. This hula hoop is the age to come. Now, what Scripture is really clear at doing is talking about the difference between these two. All throughout the Old Testament, Paul brings it into the New Testament. Jesus talks about it over and over again. The present age is the age that's out of rhythm with what God has created, like God's intention for creation. The present age is out of rhythm on. 
that sin has entered the world, that there's death and disease and famine and injustice, and that's the present age. In the age to come, scriptures teach exuberantly about the age to come, that the age to come is, is where all things will become new. Well, there will be no more death and no more injustice and no more decay and no more cancer and no more new country, right? New country music, that is. Right? Can we, can we go back to the old stuff only, you know? Like, whatever. So, so yeah, like, no, yeah. I don't even know what the new stuff is. Anyhow, so you got the old age, the, the, I mean, the present age and the age to come. And what Paul is saying is that in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, at the moment of the resurrection, that the present age and the age to come began to overlap. That when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here in your midst, what he meant is that it's the inbreaking. So taking these two hula hoops and, and, and crossing them over, you and I live now in the in-between. What theologians call the now and the not yet. Where we see tastes and glimpses of the spirit and of the age to come happening in the here and now in the present age. And at the same time, we're still struggling through the fact that it's all broken. Does that make sense? The problem is, is that many of us and our thinking is about the future and thinking is about um, heaven and eternity end up being very linear. Meaning, um, at one day, um, some of you were taught this, um, at, at one day in the future, um, this whole world's going to go bye-bye, and, um, and all the Christians are going to be beamed up, okay, and we're going to float away, and um, if you sense me making fun of it, I am, and, um, and, and some of the people are going to be left behind, and um, if that references anything, I don't know, and then... And then we're going to miss, okay, what the, what the scriptures call the tribulation, right? Like the really hard stuff. And I've talked about this before in the past, but tell that to a Syrian Christian, right? Tell that to a, a, a Christian in China right now. I mean, for us, this, this version of how the end comes is very American, all right? And so what I'm telling you is that Paul has a whole different whole different uh, feeling about how this all wraps up. And then there's the present age and the age to come. They're overlapping. And right now, you and I live in that place of the overlap. And so they're caught up. Here's the thing. The Corinthian church is caught up in their experiences and how their experiences benefited themselves and how their experiences actually kind of made them feel uh, more spiritual than their other Corinthian church members, right? Like they'd mastered something, that they had a special power, that they were somehow more elite than they are. And Paul says, listen, if you think this is as good as it gets with the Holy Spirit, if you think occasionally speaking in a language that no one can understand, if you think having a, a, a word of knowledge or some prophecy, you think this is as good as it gets, you're missing the pinnacle of what God is trying to do. You're missing it. 
And all this building is happening, all of this, what the Spirit is doing is, is happening to bring more of the age to come overlapping the present age. To make the future crash into the present. To make heaven crash into earth, right? I mean, the, the, the goal isn't to, to get more people to heaven as much as it is to bring heaven to earth. What Jesus says in his prayer, when he's teaching the disciples how to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as what? As it is in heaven. So a lot of us have some relearning to do about what this looks like. And we're going to get into all of this in chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians. It should be, by the way, September 9th, we, we start chapter 15. Okay? Now, we are doing a lot of work around here. Obviously, some things are different. There's a lot of hiccups. There's a lot of craziness. Um, we're getting all that figured out. All of that is into a, to help you uh, to have there to be more room around here to invite people and kids and everything like that. What we're starting on September 9th in this, in this teaching on 1 Corinthians 15 is something so powerful. It's the gospel it's everything pointing towards the future, pointing, pointing towards the, the, the age to come. And I would encourage you, if you know anybody that's far from God or far from the family of God, that this would be the time to bring them, to invite them. Um, starting September 9th, um, you can bring them anytime, but I mean, that's, we're going to really dive into some really good stuff then. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to work really quickly through this passage. Because the passage actually starts at the end of uh, the last week's passage. Paul says, love never fails. He talks about love being a bridge to the future, an unfailing okay, gateway towards what God wants to do, a, a, a bridge not marked by bitterness or scandal or gossip or backbiting or injustice, but actually a love that is... Um, well, it's much different than the love you and I understand. Last week, I talked about this, um, this idea when I started CrossFit. When I started CrossFit, at the end of that first week of CrossFit, um, I could honestly say, yeah, I just did CrossFit. But it was totally different than the guy who was actually doing CrossFit. Like, I was just bumbling my way through things. I didn't know how to do stuff, and there was stuff I couldn't do physically. But there was guys that were flipping around on bars and throwing things around and um, doing things with ropes and tires and stuff. And I'm like, we could both say at the end of the day we did CrossFit, but my version of it was way different. The illustration is, is pointing that towards love. Love in our, in our language and our limited understanding has to do with loving the Broncos and loving our moms and dads and our spouses and tacos and things like that. But what Paul is talking about when it comes to love is something way bigger, self-sacrificial, lay-down-your-life kind of love. And he says, love never fails. He says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Let me ask you this. In the age to come, will we need prophecy? No. We will not need people to help us understand things that we don't understand. Where are, there are tongues, they will be stilled. In the age to come, will we need people speaking in different languages and communicating with God in different languages? 
you can participate in this. No, yeah, no, we won't need that, right? Um, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Well, we need somebody to help us um, understand the intricacies of how things work. Will be things that we understand more fully in the age to come. Yeah, we'll be able to understand everything, so we won't need that stuff. All these things are good things, Paul's saying. They're good things, but they will not be needed where we're going. So stop getting so excited about them now. Yeah, they're great. They, they build up the body. They help us. They encourage each other. They, they do things in this space in between, right? The now and the not yet. It helps us get, um, get orient our lives and encourages us to follow Jesus more. Yeah, but will we need that in the future? No. So what he's saying is love never fails. Love's what it's all about. Ever been... Um, caught up in things that are really good and you miss the main thing, right? There's like, you know, you miss the forest for the trees and, uh, you know, you get lost in the weeds and all those great things we have, right? But there's really good things that you could spend your whole, all your time on and still miss the main thing, right? And, and, and in terms of following Jesus, um, this happens to us a lot. We get really uh, into going to church or uh, reading our Bibles, which those are great things, right? But those become the most important things sometimes. Sometimes uh, knowing worship songs and reading books and, and all those things are good things, but they're not the main thing. What Paul is talking about is sometimes we get caught up in these little things and we miss following Jesus. We miss being in love with Jesus. We miss being on mission in the world. And sometimes, here's the thing, sometimes knowing Jesus through Scripture, okay, instead of knowing Scripture, see the difference? And I've said this before, you could know the Bible cover to cover and still be a jerk. <laughs> you know? Like, like, what if we were to know Jesus because of the Scripture instead of just knowing more Scripture? Good can be the enemy of best. Paul goes on, verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. You know, the reality is I only know in part. I mean, the real, I stand up here and I say some things to you guys and you think, oh, he's got it all together. No, I'm, I, I just, ha I know it like a day or two before. I'm just saying it to you. Like, I'm learning as I go. I'm learning and, and wrestling. I only know things in part. Sometimes I get people to come up to me and they're like, well, you probably know the answer to this, Pastor. Um, I said, first, don't call me Pastor. My name's Ryan. Second, I don't know the answer. I, don't, I only know in part. You and I only know enough to follow and trust, right? I mean, there's this distinguishment between unbelief and just questions and uncertainty. You know, unbelief is just like, you know what, I don't believe in Jesus, I don't believe in scripture, unbelief, right? But there's still an, a part of us that follow Jesus that if you, if you follow Jesus and you've got it all settled, I'm, I'm just warning you that uncertainty and questions and doubt are coming. When you get 
face-to-face with a diagnosis or a relational breakdown or, or any of number of things. When you, when you used to think this, and now this is really coming into play, and, and you're struggling, like, there are things, honestly, sit down, knee-to-knee, eye-to-eye on a, at a coffee shop, and if I was to be able to be just really honest with you, there would be things where I'm going, you know, I don't know. I don't know. That's a hard one. I get it. What Paul is saying is there's things that we only know in part. True, we seek the answer and we, go f- and, we, and we try to push into that, but there's a point that you and I need to realize that on this side of the age to come, totally overlapping the present age, we just won't know the full story. We just won't. You ever been to a church where it seemed like everybody there, it seemed like everybody there had like arrived right? Like they're like, oh, we've got this nailed down here <laughs> at this church. We, just so you know, we've got it all figured out. So you're, we're glad you're here because now you're going to have it all figured out if you, you know, that's a scary place to be. Now, what would it look like if it was a community of people that were just really honest that we just don't know it all, that we're struggling, that this doesn't make sense. And why does the Bible say this, and then I see this happening in real life, and I can't square the two? That's totally okay. There's tension in following Jesus, and there's mystery. And we don't have it all mastered here, and so hopefully that's helpful for you. We're all works in progress. Verse 10, he says, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. Paul says that one day, when it, and it's all complete, we're going to know. We're going to know. We live in a world of imperfect love, like I said before. And we live lives that are imperfect in, in regards to love. I was um, Googling the top 100 pop songs of all time. And there's a whole bunch of different lists. Um, and, there, you know, there's great songs on all of them. I mean, you know it's a good list when, you know, it's a good song when there's the same songs are on all these lists, right? So, like, like uh, Elvis Presley, Heartbreak Hotel, boom, it's on the list, right? Talking about love, right? But heartbreak, right? Incomplete, imperfect love, um, the song All By Myself, right? Some yearning in there a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, Billie Jean, Michael Jackson, um, you know, just, that's his girl, you know? And uh, he, he wants everybody to know that. So, um, uh, Whitney Houston, she just, she just wants to dance with somebody, you know? She wants to feel the heat, you know? <laughs> Imperfect love, this side of heaven. Um, and then you got all the single ladies, right? Um, which is, is yearning, right? It's, it's a sense of yearning, right? Because if, if he loved it, he would put a ring on it. So that's as far as we're going to get. The point is, we live in an imperfect world. Imperfect love shows up at all the time in all of our relationships And when the age to come arrives in its fullness, okay, a perfect love will embody all of our lives as followers of Jesus. We will understand in full. 
But you can catch glimpses of it here and now. You can catch tastes of it in, 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 in people, in your lives, in situations. And by following Jesus, the Spirit desires to push his story, the story of Jesus, forward in you and through you. And so what Paul does next is he uses three, real quick, he uses three images to, to make his point. And he always does it in threes. First one is, is, is the image of a child. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. So it's kind of like children playing with toys. Um, there once was a day where Keelan and I, when he was very little, he would still be in a onesie, and we'd be rocking Legos all Saturday morning long, right? Just laying on the floor, making stuff out of Legos. Okay, I did it to connect with Keelan. He did it because he was a kid. It would be weird, now that Keelan's 18, if he was in a onesie, and on Saturday mornings, we laid on the floor, watched cartoons, and played Legos. You know, at some point, okay, someone would probably walk in on that and go, uh, I think it's time to put the Legos away, right? Uh, and get a job and, you know, things like that. And fortunately, that's not what Keelan does anymore. But, I mean, there's this idea of, like, Paul saying, it's time to move on. It's time to move forward. It's time to grow up. He's saying, you expect a child to act and think and speak like a child. But one day arrives, and they're no longer a child. No more selfishness. No more, these are my toys, and this is my abilities, and this is my church, and these are my needs that need to be met. Paul's saying, it's time that you become fully grown. And listen, here, there's a time when you commit to following Jesus that you put the childish, the childish churchy things behind you, right? And, and that's what Paul's pushing into them. He's saying the second one is a mirror. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we, will sh then we shall see face to face. So mirrors, the interesting thing is mirrors were actually made in Corinth. Corinth was a bustling, robust, economic, crazy city. And mirrors, like the best mirrors in the, in the empire outside of Rome were made in Corinth. Now, they're different than our mirrors. Our mirrors are actually pretty clear, even though it's still backwards when you see the image. Uh, for them, it was like polished steel um, that you had to keep polishing or polished some sort of a metal um, or, or whatever. And, and so it was really kind of dim and hazy and, and distorted. And so Paul's, uh, you know, image here is that some things you just can't see clearly. It's like this mirror that you guys all have. And so we don't know things, like I said, on this side of heaven. Why did my loved one get that illness? How in the world can God use this situation in my life for good? We just don't know. We can't see. 1 John 3, 2, John says, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. There's just something we don't know yet. 
But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to see Jesus just how he is. And everything else after that will become clear. The third, the third illustration he uses, this idea of partially and fully. Partially and fully. In, incomplete knowledge and knowing in full. He says, now I know in part, then I, I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And the amazing thought behind that is that Paul is saying that every single one of us is fully known by God. Like completely known. The scriptures talk about it in Psalm 139. Um, Luke um, chapter 12, verse 7, this is, this is Jesus, says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He's in this conversation with the people um, about worry and, and, and what to expect. And he's basically saying, God knows you down to the numbering of your hair. Like you are intimately known by God. And one day, one day, we will intimately fully know God. And it all builds into this. Verse 13. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Paul's saying there's three things that propel us into the future. Our faith, our hope, and our love. And by faith, he doesn't mean like a mental, you know, checkbox, you know, like, okay, I believe in Jesus. Um, what, what scriptures talk about all the time in it, when it talks about faith is not merely an intellectual um, connection, but that that intellectual connection actually moves into action, meaning it's kind of the word, uh, the best word for me to, to lay this out is this idea of allegiance, Okay. When you have allegiance, okay, to something, your life's going to follow it. If you have an allegiance to a sports team, you're probably going to spend time watching that sports team and buy things that are, <laughs> buy gear for the sports team and show up at sports things and, you know, and then you're going to talk about your allegiance to that sports team, right? That's what this is all about. That's what Paul is talking about. Faith isn't just going, yeah, do I believe this or do I not believe this? That's part of it. But ultimate faith is an allegiance that actually pulls our life towards more and more and more allegiance. That's the idea of faith. The idea of hope isn't just wishful thinking. It's not like, man, I really wish this would happen in my life. Um, it's this idea, and like we're going to get really into this in chapter 15, that hope in the scriptures is always, it's always this, a confident expectation that all God has promised will happen to us. A confident expectation that all that God has promised will happen to us. And Colossians 1.5, Paul's talking to this church in Colossae, and he's saying, this hope we have, that God will do all that he has promised will not disappoint us. It will not disappoint us. And that kind of hope can actually recolor everything in your life, even the really, really hard stuff, and push you into the age to come. But the greatest, Paul says, is love. The greatest part. Why is that the greatest? 
Well, think about it. In the age to come, we're not going to need faith. In the age to come, we're not going to need hope. In the age to come, faith and hope are actually going to be our reality. It's going to be what we just, it's just, it's all going to be settled. But love is what will last. Love is our destiny. And the reality of this age to come, loving God, loving others fully, um, unhindered, without agendas, you know, that's going to be the, the new bathed reality. And long after all the tongues and all the prophecy and all the words of knowledge and all the cute little toys that we played with, Paul is saying, love never fails. Love will last forever. So what does this mean for us? I've just got three simple questions for you and me. The first one is this. Are you focusing on the things that are really mattering? Are you focusing on things that really, really, really matter, right? Because it's easy to get caught up in good things that don't matter. And I'm talking about the last forever kind of stuff. That's the stuff that matters. Are you building your own empire, your own wealth, your own status, your own prestige. Because your view of the future will affect your present. You know? And we'll get into this in chapter 15. Your view of the future will affect your present. The second question I have is this. If you put childish ways behind you, meaning in some way or the other, are we still playing with Legos around here? Right? Are we... Are we moving forward? Are we becoming more like Jesus? We have a, our new banner out front. We talk about this all the time in the service, and we thought, let's put it on a banner. This idea of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. It's just kind of what we want to be. And, and, and is there movement in that? Is there a trajectory in your life? Are you growing? Or is it still about you and your needs, me and my needs and my satisfaction in life and the pursuit of the next? And we want to grow. This is where we want to grow as a church. And the third one is this. Is your life characterized by faith, hope, and love? Like saturated with faith, hope, and love. Is our community saturated with faith, hope, and love? A faith that is alive and real is our allegiance to Jesus real? Is it, is it highlighting that we're people of the future and not the present? Are we looking, are we living our lives for the age to come or the present age? These are all great qu questions. I had a really interesting conversation. I was with a bunch of pastors being trained on coaching this week in Chicago and during the breaks, we're having discussions and um, talking about just the inertia and the culture of our world right now. And one of the things we're going to be doing later this fall is talking about culture and, and the cultural moment we're in right now. And it's just interesting. It's divisive. It's hard. It's painful. It's frustrating. It's highly charged and political. And one of the things we all kept reminding ourselves of 
is that we're in a season, we're in a moment, and they're pastors of churches all over the country. And, and what is the church right now? Like, what is the church? And there's a lot of frustration right now because politics and the church and marriage of those two things, and it's frustrating. It's hard. It's messy. And we don't top tell you how to vote. That's your deal. What our goal as a church is to talk about bigger things. Because I think sometimes our politics are too small. And one of my friends wrote this, and it was really great. He actually wrote this on one of his social media feeds. He says this. The way of Jesus did not spread like wildfire because the first Christians were always angry with the empire or because they were sharp critics, critics of an unstable emperor. He says, the way of Jesus spread like fire because they proclaimed freedom, faith, hope, and love even when the empire set them on fire. There's something really powerful about that because what that's saying is I'm looking towards the future, the future age, the age to come. And what I want to do is I want to live my life now even though there's all this craziness happening in our country and in our world. How could I live in faith, hope, and love even in the midst of all this crazy. John 14, 26 says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. I mean, this is Jesus saying, the Holy Spirit's gonna remind you and teach you and walk you through this. Maybe it's time for, to, for us to hear from the Spirit. Maybe it's time that the Spirit uh, wants to remind you of God's love for you. And, and maybe it's time for the Spirit to remind you of the desire of the Spirit to be in you, to be on you, and to push through you the story of Jesus. Maybe it's time that we took some time to think through that. Love is our destiny, it's not our duty. And so what we're going to do is we're going to come to the table. And we're going to come to the table as a church, as a community that wants to be reminded of what it looks like, right? To live as people of the future. And when Jesus gathered with his disciples, he walked them through a Passover meal, but he changed it a little. And he added some things. And he steered them towards his work on the cross that was about to be done. And he told them about the bread. And he looked at the bread as the body broken, right? And his body would be broken for the world. And then he tells the disciples that if they're going to be with him, become like him, and do what he did, that they would be broken too. That their life would be an act of love. The kind of love that lays down their life for each other. That kind of love. Not tolerate each other kind of love, but lay down their life kind of love. And then he talked about his blood being poured out. Many raised a glass of wine, and he passed that. And now, 
as followers of Jesus, we get to participate thousands of years later in the same idea that when we come to the table, we're actually re-pledging our allegiance to the King of heaven, the one who is ushering in the age to come.